author Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us on the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm honored by your presence. I hope you're staying healthy, sane, and trying to hang on to whatever bit of joy and peace you can in this current age we're in. Really, I wish you all the very best. It was just the other day I asked a question on Facebook. What is your all-time favorite instrumental song, your all-time favorite instrumental tune? There were more than 200 comments, and they're still coming in. I appreciate every single one of you who answered. There were some really good answers, some great suggestions on songs that I hadn't heard before. And then, of course, there were a lot of songs that I knew very well, and I couldn't agree more. One answer came up quite a few times. It was mentioned by Wayne Myers, Jeff Bredemeyer, Cameron Hunter, Quinn Loggins, and Baron Ruth so far. It's a very famous tune. It's been covered masterfully by a lot of acts. Some of the acclaimed versions were recorded by the Brian Setzer Orchestra, Larry Carlton, Jake Shima Bucaro, Jeff Beck, The Ventures. But my favorite, of course, is the original by Santo and Johnny. That's right, I'm talking about Sleepwalk. It's probably one of the most well-known, beloved, and played instrumentals of all time. No exaggeration. You know the song, you've heard it. I remember seeing it, or I should say hearing it, in a Publix television commercial, and I was instantly mesmerized. It's been in movies, on television shows, it's probably playing in the world somewhere right now. I remember talking to Doyle Grisham, well known as the steel guitarist in Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer Band, and everyone who plays the steel guitar reveres Santo and Johnny, and they love that song, Sleepwalk. And he told me how much he loved playing that song. And it always got a great reaction, he said. So talk about being an influential song. You know this, the Stephen King movie Sleepwalkers? Well, Stephen King was inspired to write the script for that because of the song Sleepwalk. And it also influenced the Beatles, the song Sun King, which if you listen to it, that appeared on the Abbey Road album, you will notice there's a Sleepwalk influence. So, with that said, it's a great pleasure to present this interview with Johnny Farina. Johnny likes to be identified only as Johnny Farina of Santo and Johnny because he likes to remember his legacy. He and his brother Santo Farina composed and recorded the song Sleepwalk, which is probably the most famous instrumental song of all time. It was a real honor to talk to Johnny Farina, and I hope one day we get a chance to talk again. Let me know what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Leslie presents, and now your host, Paul Leslie. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with great pleasure that we welcome Mr. Johnny Farina. Johnny, thanks so much for making the time to speak with us. Who is Johnny Farina? A very happy man. I, I have to say, I've been blessed. You know, I have a great life that I lead. I have a lot of toys, and uh, I have some nice shows that I continuously do. Uh, a lot of uh, good things happened uh, just recently with, uh, with Sleepwalk. There are many people all over this planet that constantly 
uh, listens to Sleepwalk. As a matter of fact, a, a news reporter named uh, Ravi Walliver had mentioned that he did a big article years ago on Sleepwalk, and he said it's in everybody's DNA. It is. You know, it's a, a lot of times people, if you ask them, uh, do you know that song Sleepwalk? And they'll say, no, uh, can you hum it? As soon as you hum two or three notes, oh, yeah, I know that song. That's the song from La Bamba. That's the song from uh, a commercial that they heard or one of the movies, uh, Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, you know, and uh, so forth. It's been in over 35 movies. Amazing. The first time I ever heard that song, that it, the first time that it really, really stuck with me was in a Publix grocery store commercial. Yeah, it, when it was in uh, used for Publix, as a matter of fact, there was some... Uh, people wrote in uh, one of the local newspapers in Florida, I think it was, that they were trying to determine what was the name of the song. Was it uh, the song from La Bamba or was it the Publix commercial song? And then somebody did give the correct title, you know. So Publix is a nice store. I happen to like it. It is a nice store, but it was on a TV commercial. And I remember as uh-huh. soon as I heard the song, I thought, wow, you know, that's great, and it made me think of, like, a lazy summer day, which, you know, Publix is uh-huh. Florida. So I thought, yeah. yeah. Well, what was the inspiration behind the song? It wasn't a planned thing that we did. You know, a lot of people ask the, the same question. How did you and Santo come up with a, a melody like that? And uh, the only thing I can say is that we were kids playing. We would play at church dances, and uh, we'd play at uh, the, the local taverns when we were kids. We would uh, come home at night. We would be so uh, uh, pumped up from playing that it was hard to really sleep. And uh, my father had bought us a webcore tape recorder, and he he told us, you should tape everything that you do because it looks like you guys are writing songs without even realizing what you're doing. And uh, so Sleepwalk came out one night that we came home and we were just so uh, high on music because... uh, when we used to play, as a matter of fact, it still happens to me now. After a performance, uh, I mean, I just can't sleep. I'll go out and uh, to uh, you know a diner or something that's open all night and hang out with some of the musicians, and then uh, then finally go home. You know, but uh, it's just something that um, I think when it's in your blood, man, it just uh, it doesn't leave. We're talking with Mr. Johnny Farina of the legendary group Santo and Johnny. Regarding the song Sleepwalk, when you hear the song or when you play the song, what does the song make you think of? Uh, Every time I play the song, I thank the good Lord for it because, let me tell you, I never had to work a day in my life. So, uh, sort of a miracle song, I would call it. It's a song that is timeless. It could be used for, uh, I mean, certain movies like Stephen King's movie of Sleepwalkers. It was used for La Bamba, which was a 50s movie. Then it was used in uh, 12 Monkeys, which was a futuristic movie with uh, Bruce Willis. There's a group in uh, in the U.K. They're called Basement Jacks. You ever hear them? No, I haven't heard of that group. Okay, well, uh, I heard that they're, they're a big group. They sold four or five million CDs already, and they're, they're well-known in, in, the, uh, in the U.K., what they do is dance music, you know, and uh, as a matter of fact, Yoko Ono was on one of their cuts that they just finished an album. And what they did was they, they have Sleepwalk playing, and they're, they're doing like sort of a rap over it. So uh, I'm happy about that. Then there's also The Pretenders. You've heard of them, right? Oh, yeah, The Pretenders. 
Yeah, okay, so the Pretenders, uh, actually, uh, they have a, uh, an album, a CD called uh, Break Up the Concrete. The main song from the album is Boots of Chinese Plastic, and they started off with Sleepwalk, you know, and, uh, I mean, which is an attention getter, and uh, I'm happy about that. That puts some more gasoline on my boat, you know? <laughs> There's always people inquiring about movies, you know, to use it. They just used it in uh, Amsterdam for a commercial for clean air. You know, so, I mean, the whole planet is aware of Sleepwalk. It's probably one of the biggest or maybe the biggest instrumental around because it's been recorded so many times, you know? Well, just doing research, I've read in a few places that some uh -huh. people say that Sleepwalk is the number one instrumental song, period. I believe so, and, you know, and it's something that you really don't know how you write it. It's something that just comes out of you, and uh, I could describe it maybe like uh, uh, these, uh, these well-known painters when they would paint uh, a portrait. or They would just dip the brush and then just make the stroke. It, was, it wasn't planned. They would just dip it a certain way, same, a certain amount of pressure, and just make that stroke. I think we painted a, a beautiful picture that will last forever. Wow, that, that has to be amazing. I know we were kind of going over this and over this about how many versions ah. there are, but I have a collection of versions of this song. I had never heard the song with words before until I have or have a record from a group called the Howleys. They do a version of Sleepwalk that has a female vocalist singing words to it. And I know that there uh, are lyrics uh, for the song, as much like Diana Ross even sang it. I like to hear the group, how they did it. Our special guest is Johnny Farina of Santo and Johnny. Johnny, what was life like growing up? Life in Brooklyn, because that's where Santo and I were born, we didn't come from a, a rich family, you know. My, my father was a baker. He worked very hard. He didn't make much money, but we always had nice clothing and, you know, we had good food. That was like what was really important to us. But uh, growing up in uh, a neighborhood, it was predominantly Italian-American uh, and Irish. You know, we were just two kids from Brooklyn growing up uh, playing stickball in the streets of Brooklyn. And uh, we would make scooters. There were certain times of the year we used to have uh, different things would come about. That's how we entertained ourselves in those days. We would trade comic books. We would flip baseball cards, things that are not heard of today. It's really unusual in the world of today. It's all electronic. I always say, I just hope that the, the kids' batteries never die because they won't know what else to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they'll be able to know how to pick up a phone. Everything is text messages, you know. It's just uh, a way that the world has changed and... Uh, I sort of like the old way better. When people were more realistic, people, I think, were more honorable. Uh, you never heard of people swindling money the way people do today and getting away with it. I mean, if you get me on a, a talk about that, believe me, I won't stop talking because uh, <laughs> these things, man, I am so American and proud to be an American. And then I see people that disrespect this country and get away with it. I just don't want to tolerate that. I completely understand. And I, what you were saying about the electronics, sometimes I wonder if the, the younger kids today, if it's like affecting their attention spans. 
course. You know, it's like, the, it's like they, they don't know how to interact with people face-to-face anymore. It's all virtual. That's for sure. You know, <laughs> I, I was in the airport coming back uh, two weeks ago, and uh, uh, I'm in the airport, and there's a man sitting next to me, and there's a young girl sitting right across from him. She's text messaging. I, I can see what she's doing. And he's text messaging. And actually, that was his daughter. Instead of her talking to her father, which was sitting right across from she's text messaging him. <laughs> I said, I said, what does this world come to, man? <laughs> you know, out of something good, they just went, uh, as usual, they went overboard. Our special guest is Johnny Farina of Santo and Johnny. I was reading that you had a TV show in Italy. Uh, yes, we did. Yeah, we were, we were like really superstars in Italy. A lot of people don't know that. Like, uh, we did um, all the cover records on like uh, James Bond. We did uh, Goldfinger, uh, Thunderball, uh, You Only Live Twice. And we had Sean Connery, Ursula Andress on the cover. We had, when it was Thunderball, we had the, the ship on the um, cover. When we did his album, uh, we had the, the Beatles, the pictures of the Beatles on the, on the cover, you know. And, uh, matter of fact, we had a, a number one record in Mexico. If you li- read the, uh, the bio, you might see it uh, mentions about uh, a song called Endalama. In Spanish, it was called El Amo. And it was number one for 21 weeks. I was just thinking about a funny story, which I will mention. We were in Mexico at the time. The Beatles had not uh, arrived yet. So we arrived first with our song, which was on the, on the charts for two weeks already. It was number one. And when we flew down it, we brought a, a rhythm section down with us. And we're on the plane to remember like it happened yesterday. And that's, this is 1965, okay? Now, Mexico, they had a very small airport plane taxis up, and it was pouring rain. I look out the window, and what do I see? I see, like, uh, hundreds of people, you know, with the umbrellas. And I said, wow, the Beatles must be on this plane. So we didn't fly first class. So I'm trying to peek through the window to see if I see anybody or flashes going off. Nobody's flashing cameras or anything. I'm saying, wow. Now I'm looking around, like, who could be on this plane? As soon as we get off, like, they're going crazy. So we had a two-week contract. We were there for three months. Needless to say, I had more than Montezuma's revenge, you know. So I came home, and uh, I said, wow, I need a rest there for this. But I found out in Mexico recently, because I went back uh, a couple of years ago to Mexico City, that the, the, um, the people still believe that the, the Beatles copied Santo and Johnny, only because we had And I Love Her Out, which was the Beatles song prior to the Beatles because they didn't have distribution in Mexico, and we did. I learned that, you know, uh, when I was in Mexico about maybe three weeks ago, uh, EMI sent me uh, a George Harrison album. I don't know if you know, they, they released an album called Let's Roll. No, I'm not familiar with that album. Okay, well, it's called an album, uh, CD, Let's Roll, and there's a cut on it called Mawa Blues, okay? And on it, on his liner notes, George Harrison pays tribute to Santo and Johnny's uh, Teardrop, because he loved Teardrop, and I didn't know it. And then I, I found out that John Lennon uh, wrote Free as a Bird uh, because he was inspired by Sleepwalk. So I, I didn't know 
that we were so connected to these two people. Do you know the name May Tang? Yes, I sure do, of John Lennon's association. Okay, so I know her, and I was playing. I did a show about a month ago, and May came down to see me perform. So I emailed uh, May about maybe a week ago and said, you know something, I, I just remembered a story that there's an underground album out, uh, A Toot, A Snore, in 64, and then it came out in 74. But anyway, it was a, an underground album. It was done at... Uh, John Lennon's uh, house, he had a studio in California. Uh, Paul McCartney went there, and uh, Stevie Wonder was there, and they were really partying out, you know. But meanwhile, John Lennon picks up the, the guitar and starts strumming the chords to Sleepwalk, and he calls it Nightmare with the melody of Sleepwalk. And then he stopped doing that, and he said, no, this is Santo and Johnny's uh, Sleepwalk. So I, I emailed May, and I said, do you know about it? And she said, Johnny, I was there when he did it. It's a lot of history that I'm telling you tonight. And yeah. I, hope the, I hope your uh, listeners really dig it. Well, I can say that I'm digging it. I'm going to have to <laughs> see if I can find a, a copy of that. Uh, uh, two, I, it's supposed to be a snort, see, because uh, they were doing some cocaine, you know? Right. So, but they, put a, I, uh, they put a snore, but it's supposed to be a snort in, 70, I think, 64, then 74. I think they, they changed the, uh, the years on because then it came out. Well, you just mentioned a minute ago about touring in Mexico, and you played uh -huh. a lot of places in the world. Now, you haven't played in Georgia, the state of Georgia, no. that is, yet, but no. hopefully that will change because I would love to see you play. But where uh -huh. have you played that you like the most? It's really a hard call because it depends on the people. I was playing in, in Connecticut last week, and I had one of the best times I had in a while. They were so into it. You know, I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking also when I was in California about a year and a half ago, they had some big arenas. There was the uh, L.A. arena, and then there was, uh, I played San Diego, San Jose. I was playing for the Chicano crowd. Uh, a promoter called me up and said, listen, I, I want to put you on a show that you, you've never done before. I said, yeah? He said, yeah, but because of La Bamba, there's a big Chicano audience here. They would love you. So uh, I opened up with a song called Europa, which is on that CD I sent you. Actually, Carlos Santana uh, had called me after I sent it to him, and he really loved my version of it. I was touched by the people in California because I, I guess about maybe nine to ten thousand people at these uh, at this co concert. It were, there, there were a bunch of artists on it, and I was part of the, the show. But when I played the last harmonic, you know, and Sleepwalk, I mean, they all yelled out. Can you imagine like ten thousand people yelling out Richie? You know, it was really touching. And uh, wow, I, I was playing in, in Cerrito, California. And uh, the maid came into my room. She was Mexican. She was going to clean the room. And I said, it's okay. I'm just writing some notes. You can clean it up, you know. So she was straightening up the room, and then she saw some CDs, and then she knew who I was. And she, she couldn't speak English, but she's saying the name, Santo and Johnny. You know, I said, so I gave her a CD and my picture. And I thought it was funny that all day long when she was cleaning rooms, she had my picture on her cart. She was wheeling me around, you know, in the hallway. And I thought, that's a, that's a funny thing, and that's a nice thing to happen. So 
when you say about me playing different places, it's really hard to say, well, I, I like uh, California better than uh, Boston. I think the, the other thing is that what happens, I think it's the sound of my guitar. You know, it's just like, it's, um, it's very, it's almost like a spiritual sound. I mean, the, the steel guitar is just a very, very unique sounding instrument. You could play rock on, you could play, uh, you could play very passionate music on. Uh, and the, the people, what they tell me after I finish performing, that they're touched by the music, you know. It just goes right through them, they say. I think that's what makes me happy when I hear that. Yeah, the steel guitar, it's almost like a haunting kind of sound. I was talking to a pedal steel guitar player named Doyle Grisham, and he plays uh-huh. the, the steel guitar for, for Jimmy Buffett. And when I told uh-huh. him that I was interviewing Johnny Farina, he flipped out. Uh-huh. He said, oh, my gosh, you have to tell me when that thing is airing. Because he said that that was oh. one of his favorite songs to play as a solo steel guitar song, period. One of his absolute favorite songs to play. So we were inducted into the steel guitar uh, Hall of Fame uh, I think if you look on, on the back of the CD, I forgot what year was it, maybe 2001 it could have been. I'm not sure now. But it's on the back of the CD. If you looked on the back of the CD, which I'm sure you did, you'll see the uh, plaque from the Steel Guitar Hall of Fame. Yes, indeed. I think it was 2001. A lot of these men that came over to me, some of them were like in their 80s, you know. And these were the people that my father listened to, and he was inspired can you imagine, my father was born in Italy, okay, listen, I mean, it's such a strange scenario. My father was born in Italy, comes over to the United States when he's about nine or ten. He's working for like a dollar a day, you know, because at that time, there was no such thing as protecting children, you know, with child labor, you know. Here's a man, he grows up, he doesn't have any ability to play any kind of instrument. And then he gets taken into the Army, and he's stationed in Texas, in Oklahoma, and he is such, he was so inspired by listening to the steel guitar that he wrote home to my mom, said, let the boys learn how to play this beautiful instrument. Santa and I had no idea what my father was talking about, because in the neighborhood that we lived in, there were only Italian uh, people. Most of them were all born in Europe. There were first wave of Italians coming over, and Irish immigrants, and all you heard was uh, accordions and mandolins, and maybe a regular guitar, you know? Right. To learn how to play a steel guitar in a a predominantly neighborhood where nobody even knew what it was, was like, uh, it's like, how are you going to do that, you know? But what happened was my mom was trying to get us lessons. By the time she found maybe somebody that thought he could teach us, not that he knew how to play it, my father got injured in the Army. He gets sent home. Now, he is the one. He's got this thing that he wants us to uh, learn how to play. Meanwhile, he's listening to a program called The Hometown Frolic. It was a country and western station that we would listen to on Saturdays. And he would say, see, that's, that's what you have to play. That's the sound that you have to play. Now, he's educating us on country and western sound. But yet, Santa and I never played country and western we were just playing what we thought, what we heard. We were playing rock and roll. Right. We were playing rock and roll and standards. Going back to being inducted into the Steel Guitar Hall of Fame, I got to meet the people that I grew up listening to, like Hank Williams' Steel Guitar Players 
And all those people that were doing the sessions, they were always in the background that you really, you heard their music, but they never really got recognition on the air. I mean, all you heard was, uh, this is uh, Hank Williams singing. You always heard the steel guitar in the background, you know. But I finally got to meet these people. And let me tell you, I was, I was so moved. I was unbelievably moved that I couldn't even, I couldn't even speak, you know. It just, I was too emotional that these people came over and said, you know, because of you guys, you put the steel guitar on the map. I said, perhaps, because Sleepwalk is like the only number one record that was recorded on steel, but the idea is that to be honored by great musicians was um, too much to handle. Our special guest is Johnny Farina of Santo and Johnny. Johnny, what kind of music did you listen to growing up? Growing up, I actually listened to uh, Bing Crosby, Frankie Lane, Perry Como, Sinatra, Vaughn Monroe. As a matter of fact, that's why I uh, recorded Ghost Riders in the Sky, which uh, I had sent you my CD, and I always liked that song when I was a kid, so that's why I wanted to do it. And my wife liked it, too, so um, that's one of the reasons I put it on there. I shopped the record around for about a year and a half. Nobody wanted to even listen to it. Really? Because it was still fun. Oh, yeah. It was, I was shopping at the Brill Building. The Brill Building at the time was the place to go. I'm sure if you read the old rock and roll books, uh, you'll see that uh, that was the music business. If you wanted to get a deal, you went there. But I only had um, two records with me. Uh, they were actually uh, cut, you know, like in the old days. And then they would just have like a, I think it was metal-based. And there was like maybe a vinyl on top. And then... A needle would cut right into it, you know. The, the guy at the studio would make it right there. I still have those records, uh, as a matter of fact. One side was Sleepwalk. Uh, the flip side was All Night Diner. The third one was uh, a country song that, uh, well, it had a country sound. I was singing on it. And uh, actually, I never let anybody hear me sing because I believed in Sleepwalk all the way. I never had a doubt that it was going to happen. It's inspiring that you, you you believed in yourself like that. Well, I did. Uh, so at 16, actually, I quit school at 16 because uh, I told my father, uh, I'm not learning anything here, and what I'm going to do, people can't teach me. My father said, you need an education because, you know, he was a baker. He said, you don't want to be a baker like me. You want to, you know, you want to have a good education. And I said, you know, Dad, we're going to become stars. And, you know, he looked at me like, oh, man, this kid has got, like, pipe dreams, you know. And uh, But he, he allowed me to quit school. I would shop the, the record around constantly. I didn't have any success with uh, record labels. I had a book of record labels that were uh, located in the New York area, uh, basically the Brill Building and surrounding areas in the city because I didn't have a car. I was only 16. What happened was I was not successful at that. Then I bought a, a book on publishers. I started to go down the gamut of publishers. I would just pick names that I thought sounded like I would like to go there, okay? Mm -hmm. And one day, one day, I was going down the alphabet, and I came to T, and I saw Trinity Music. And I said, wow. I'm a Catholic, you know, I said, wow, maybe this is like the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. This might be a, a sign from God. He wants me to go here. You know, I'm a young kid. I got so much drive that maybe this is what God wants me to do. So I go 
to this building on 101 West 55th Street. I can remember this like yesterday. I remember walking in the hallway, and the door was slightly open, and I stuck my head in there, and I had the, the, the records under my arm, and there was a man about to bite into a pastrami sandwich, and he said, I know, kid, you have a hit record. And at that moment, I actually believed that it was a miracle, that he knew I had the hit record. God sent me there. And I'm saying, hey, how do you know I have a hit record? And he said, hey, kid, everybody has a hit record in New York. <laughs> I said, but I really... <laughs> now, he's, trying, he's shooting me down. I said, oh, I said, no, no, no. I said, this is really a hit record. He said, I know, so leave it. I said, no, I can't leave it. I only have one of each. I have, I have three songs. Just can't uh, leave it here. You have to play it now. Just play it. He said, I can't. He said, I listen to music all day long. I need time to relax, and I want to have my lunch now. And I said, you know something? You're really going to kick yourself. You know where, you know? And <laughs> actually, I told him because, I, you know, I was a kid from Brooklyn. I didn't care if I had to tell him where to go, and I told him. I said, wait till you kick yourself, you know? And he said, what kind of music is it anyway? <laughs> I said, steel guitar music. What are, you, uh, what are you talking about, country music? I can remember, what are, you, what are you talking about, kid, country music, Hawaiian? I said, no, no. I said, this is something different. You never heard anything like this. This is rock and roll played on the steel. It's like uh, R&B, which it was, you know? He said, leave it. I said, I can't leave it. I said, I'm going to go now. And I thought he was going to say, you know, I'm waiting for him to say, don't go, don't go. So finally he says, all right, come in, put it on the Victrola. Kids today, the only time they've ever seen a Victrola is in a museum probably, you know, because they have no idea what it is, you know? Right. So he had uh, his little Victrola there, and I put it on. So I was listening to it, and he said, hey, you know what? You want some of my, uh, my lunch? I said, yeah, sure. Later on, I mean, he, he became our manager, too. So he shopped it, and he got the deal with Canadian-American, and then Alan Freed broke it in New York. Because Alan Freed heard and said, this is a monster record. He said, you know what? This record's never going to die. Guy was right. Like I said, I mean, it's, it's been good to me. It's been great to me. I have, uh, the only time I get up in the morning that I have to really get up is if I have to catch a plane. Otherwise, I get up when I want. If I if the sun don't shine through the window, that means I'm not going fishing, you know? You surely showed them. I mean, two million radio airplays. You've sold all these records. You played all over the world. You had your TV show in Italy. When you look back at it, what are you most proud of? Well, first of all, n now it's more than three because I have uh, BMI sent us another citation. So it's probably about four or five million now because I'm waiting for the for the next award, because I have uh, one, two, and three on the wall. So now I guess I'm going into the fourth or fifth uh, million plays, which is excellent, because the higher it goes, you get you go into a, a different category of, of money, you know, of being paid for airplays. Nice. Which is great. Uh, anyway, what was the question? I was just saying, with all this, what are you most proud of? I'm really proud. I was trying to weigh it out. My son is uh, 41. He got married last year, and he said, Hey, Dad, would you be my best man? I think that was a, a superior thrill to, to be his best man. 
And I said, well, you should have your best friend. He said, you are my best friend. And I, I think something like that moved me, being proud of my gold records and all that. I, I'm proud of that, you know. I'm proud of Sleepwalk. It made its mark, so when I'm gone and, you know, my bones are uh, someplace, laying someplace, and then they disintegrate, the song will be still living, uh, like, like Mozart's music, you know. Sometimes you just make these beautiful songs that they don't die. It'll be on the radio somewhere. Some planet. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, there have been so many people that have recorded this song. Larry Carlton did a beautiful version of it. Oh, I he did a great job, yeah. Yeah, and I heard also a version of uh, it done on the ukulele by a gentleman named Jake Shimabukuro. I have it, too, yeah. So I many. have his, uh, uh, did you listen to Danny Gatton's? I have not heard that one. Yeah, Danny Gatton did like a blues thing, like with Distorted. He did a good, how about Brian Setzer? You heard his? I have heard his, indeed. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he won a Grammy for it. What would you say is your favorite version of it? It was Larry Carlton's. Yeah, I think Larry Carlton. I don't know. He just, I just, I love Larry Carlton's, you know. And I think uh, Brian Setz is like right there too. It's right under maybe just it could be about equal. I don't know. Maybe I know Larry Carlton's more. I have two final questions. What is your all-time favorite meal? I would have to say spaghetti and crabs and blue claw crabs together yeah uh, we catch them and then we cook them oh that sounds interesting it is interesting it's delicious <laughs> i will have to try that my last question this broadcast is going out all over the world sleepwalk is a song that's known all over the world by people of all ages colors right. nationalities and languages what would you like to that's say to all those people out there that are listening to this interview the most important thing to me, besides my family and, and good health for my family, is that I wish that this war that we have ends. My heart goes out to all the families that lost the, their children. It's the hardest thing to lose a child. If I had a wish to make, I wish that this nonsense ends and they all come home. And God bless America. Very good. Johnny, thanks so much for this interview. Uh, if you're ever in Georgia and after the gig, which I hope I'm at, if you need someone to talk to you at the diner, I will be there. I've enjoyed these stories. Hey, They're great. Keep in touch. I will do that. Thank you so much. Ladies and, and gentlemen, you. Johnny Farina. Thank you. God bless you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.